You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open together the Word of our God. We turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and we read from verse 1 to the end of that chapter. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Our Thanksgiving text this morning is taken from the verses 10 and 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where the Apostle Paul writes, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Love the congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. As you know, tomorrow is Thanksgiving Day in Canada. It is that special time of year when our attention is directed to the 
what we sometimes call more material side of life. We consider, for example, the food that sustains our lives. We think about the clothes that cover our lives. We reflect on the conveniences that better our lives. And we appreciate, for the most part, the good health that adorns our lives. And we mix all of these into all of these things the fact that we live in a free country, a land that affords us so many freedoms, benefits, and opportunities. Thanksgiving time is a time to really count our blessings, physical and otherwise. Yes, and it's also that time when we should give thanks for another year of growth and harvest. Living as many of us do in the city or in the suburbs, we sometimes forget about the agricultural side of life. We don't pay too much attention to the fact that fields need to be cultivated, sown, irrigated, weeded, and harvested. And at the same time, unlike the farmer, we don't watch the skies closely or analyze the crops so intensely. Whatever we need, we just buy. Is something lacking in our cupboards? Well, we make a trip to the supermarket and we take care of it. Is some article of clothing missing in our wardrobes? A trip to the mall will solve it. Is some money needed to buy this or to buy that? No worry. Cash, Interact, Visa, something will fix it. You see, there is this sense in which we live so easily and as a result so superficially today. We take our standard of living our conveniences, our affluence, our plenty for granted. And we seem to go out from the assumption that it will always be because it has always been there. And the result, beloved, is that so many people will again greet Thanksgiving Day this year with a yawn of indifference. Why give thanks for anything? Our money can buy more, our economy can produce more, our labor can just earn more. We are firmly in control. We are the masters of our destiny. Or are we? Knowledge and experience should surely teach us differently. Quite a few of you have been shaped by the Great Depression of the 1930s. And there are those of you who have come to Canada from Africa and who have seen a different, darker side to life. And then, too, there are those who have a knowledge of economics, agriculture, and history. And you know that things can change suddenly, dramatically. They often have in the past, and no doubt they will do so again in the future. Why, beloved, you need only to think, for example, of what happened in the southern part of the United States, New Orleans and vicinity. One day, so easy, so relaxed, so nice, and the next day, it's all gone. You see, our prosperity is not given to us 
with a guarantee. It's all a gift. It's a gift to be received with joy and to be handled with care. It's a gift to think about and to receive with humility. Only in the last analysis, it's not a gift of human hands. It comes to us from heavenly hands. Thanksgiving is a time to give thanks to God. And beloved, our text of this morning also reminds us of that. And so together let us look at it and confess. Thanks be to God. He supplies our needs. He increases our harvest. He enriches our lives. Well, beloved, a very careful look at our text reveals that it's a text that's filled with future tenses. The Apostle Paul, speaking there through the power of the Spirit, does so about the things that will happen. And he uses expressions like will supply and increase, will enlarge, will be made rich, and will result. So why all of the wills? And why does the Apostle Paul not speak in the past or in the present tense? Well, surely, beloved, he does so because he wants to underline to us that what he is speaking about are promises. Promises from God to his children, promises rich, full, and varied. But that's not all. Paul uses promises to also make clear that what he is speaking about to them is conditional. These things are not givens. They are not automatic. They do not just fall out of the sky. No, they are connected to something. So what is going on in our text? Well, to answer that, you need to go back to chapter 8. And there Paul had held out to the Corinthian believers the example of their northern Macedonian fellow believers. What example was this? Well, it had to do with the fact that these churches had taken a collection. So what we say, big deal, a collection, we take them all the time. Well, true enough, but you need to understand that the Macedonians were in no shape to hold a collection. They were dirt poor. They had nothing. They could barely scrape by as it was, and in, instead of holding a collection, someone should have been holding a collection for them. They should have been on the receiving end instead of on the giving end. But nevertheless, Paul says they gave, they shared, they offered. They didn't let or allow their poverty to deter them. But of course you may wonder, who were they giving for? Well, we're told that they were giving for their famished brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Apparently, the Apostle Paul says there was a very severe famine in the ancient city of David and the saints there were dying. And so the Apostle Paul, on his third missionary journey, decides to do whatever he can. 
He decides to acquaint the saints elsewhere with their plight and to garner together whatever help he can. And that also happened among the believers in the northern part of Greece, in what was known then and now as Macedonia. It seems that Paul went to them and saw their situation and and he really expected nothing from them. The saints in that part of the world, in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, were really not a lot better off than the saints in Jerusalem. So how can they give? But they did. They did beyond expectation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, the verses 2 and 4, out of the most extreme trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. You see, these Macedonian church members, they were as poor as church mice. But yet they gave. But then if there are the Macedonians, there are also the Corinthians. And among them, the Apostle Paul seems to have encountered quite a different attitude. In 2 Corinthians 8, the verses 11, 10, 14, he states, Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work. Your plenty will supply what they need. When you read that, you wonder, what's going on here? Had the Corinthians really given something the previous year? Or or had they promised to give, but hadn't come through with it? It's hard to discern which is which. However, one thing is certain, and that is that the Corinthians were not exactly pulling their weight. For Paul not only writes them a word of reminder, but he also sends Titus to them for what he calls the proof of your love. Titus, as one of his fellow workers, is to collect it, bring it to Paul, and together they will bring it to Jerusalem. And in addition, you can hear how the Apostle Paul, at the beginning of our chapter 9, tries to to spur them on. He says he's already been boasting about them to the Macedonians. And so you see, all the indications are there is a problem in the Corinthian church. It's a problem you might call the problem of reluctant generosity. In Corinth, they were talking lots and giving little. Or else they were talking lots and giving nothing. And that's why, beloved, in these particular chapters, the Apostle Paul is going to work on them. And he does that as well in our text, and he does it also with all of these future tenses that he uses. And he does it in addition with those words, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Now what is that? 
What are these words about seed and bread, but words of reminder as to who is really the source and the origin of everything? The Corinthians tended to forget that. We tend to do the same thing, I dare say. Last week I came across an ancient story of a well-known preacher who was eating in a crowded restaurant. The place was so crowded there was no place to sit, so a man came along and asked if he could sit at his table with him, and he said, sure, sit down. The food arrived and the preacher bowed his head to say grace. The man across from the table looked at him and asked, do you have a headache? No, he says, I was saying grace and giving thanks to God. To which the man replied, oh, I don't do that. It's a waste of time. I make my own money, buy the food I want, and I just dig in. Oh, said the preacher, my dog does that too. And it all raises the question as to just how many people today really still see God as the ultimate giver. Unbelievers tend to treat their affluence as a sign of their own shrewdness and success. Yes, and even believers often tend to overlook God. I think in that regard we can learn a lot from the psalmist who always speaks so directly and so personally about God's continuous involvement in creation. We say it's raining today. The psalmist says God is watering the earth. We say the sun is shining. The psalmist says God is sending down the rays of warmth and light. We say the crop grows. The psalmist says it's God who causes the seeds to sprout and the grass to grow. You see, we so readily disconnect God from our world and from his creation. But the psalmist does not. And neither does Paul. He thinks of the words of Isaiah 55 verse 10 about God giving seed for the sower and bread for the eater. He credits God. It's God who supplies the seed, who creates it, who nourishes it, who causes it to come to fruition. It's God who gives the bread. Yes, and by using that word seed, Paul wants to impress upon us that, that God takes what is so small and so insignificant and he turns it into great things. Think, for example, of the Gospel of John chapter 6. The Lord Jesus takes five small barley loaves and two fish and he turns those few meager things into a meal for thousands. God gives the gross. 
Our God turns small things into great harvests. And in addition, our God always gives what is needful. That word bread, that points to the basic necessities of life. Think of the petition, give us this day our daily bread. The apostle isn't speaking about luxury here. He's referring to the basics and the fundamentals. And maybe you remember a distinction that I gave to you some time ago between needs, wants, and desires. I need food. I want meat. I desire prime rib. I need, I want, I desire. Well, God, our God, is in the business of supplying needs. Everything after that is bonus. And so what is Paul saying to us and what is he saying to the Corinthians? Remember that it's God who gives the growth and the harvest. It's God who supplies your needs. It's God who blesses your labors. And do not credit luck or muscle or cunning. Credit God. Look to Him. Acknowledge Him. Live in daily dependence upon Him. And what happens when you do that? Well, something else will happen. The apostle continues on and he writes that God will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Again, whether you realize it or not, Paul is quoting an ancient prophet, this time Hosea. Hosea who says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, And break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness upon you. Now, there are quite a few words in that citation, but what's the principle? What's Paul getting at? Well, he's reminding the Corinthian church about an old rule in the church and kingdom of God. And the rule is this, live God's way and you will not only live, you'll be blessed. Note Paul specifically uses words like supply, increase, enlargement. And if you think of that, what is that but a very, very simple rule? It's, it's a very simple general rule. It's a very simple economic rule. It's so simple and so obvious that it shouldn't even need to be mentioned. Only God really supplies the seed and only God is the one who can increase and multiply it. But again, we have trouble with that. As human beings, we have this built-in inclination to ignore God and to ignore His ways and to see and to do things our way. And sometimes, beloved, that goes especially for money and material things in this life. 
You know, money comes into our hands and we act as if this is a closed universe. It's just us and the big buck. We receive our paychecks and what goes through our minds? Pay the mortgage, pay for the car, pay for the phone bill, pay for the groceries, pay for entertainment. But how much consideration is there given by you when you receive your paycheck that this really is God's money? And that it should be spent His way? How often do we consider ourselves to be stewards of all of God's gifts? Sometimes it's not too often, isn't it? And then we, we can't seem to figure out why everything disappears so fast or, or, or why it doesn't seem to get us anywhere or, or why doesn't it create any real happiness or contentment in my life. My beloved, the Apostle Paul says, if you do not acknowledge the source of your blessings, you will neither experience those blessings nor will you see them increase and multiply. And note in that connection he speaks about the harvest of your righteousness. What's that? It's the Apostle's way of reminding the Corinthians and us that only those who see themselves as dependent on God will see their lives bloom and blossom. Unbelievers don't bloom. Atheists don't blossom. Greedy, proud, arrogant people don't have anything to show for their wealth. No fruit, no harvest. And then especially no harvest of righteousness, which really means a harvest of righteous deeds. Loving deeds, holy deeds. The lives of so many people are sterile, unproductive. They have nothing to show for their lives except an increase in greed and self-absorption. But not so God's people. Those who see themselves as reliant on the Lord, as living out of the grace of God, as the recipients of the marvelous saving work of Jesus Christ, will see their lives transformed. It's like seed in the desert. Plant it, give it no water, and it dies. Give it water. And it sprouts and it grows. And a harvest is well on the way. Yes, and that, beloved, is what Paul longs to see in the lives of his readers. He wants their lives to produce a harvest of good deeds. Of deeds that recognize God as creator, giver, and provider. Of deeds that honor Jesus Christ as mediator and Lord. 
And what He wants is what we should want too, both for ourselves and for others. Productive lives, growing lives, lives rich in deeds. You know, the harvest, Paul is saying, shouldn't just be out there in the fields and on the prairies and in the farms of the nations. The harvest should also be in our own hearts and in our own lives. And so you see, beloved, our God is the supplier, the enabler, the enricher. Look finally at verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Of course, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that those who are faithful stewards will see their lives enriched. And notice he even adds in every way. And I think that's the Apostle Paul's way of reminding us that good stewardship transcends the material. It transcends the comfort zone. It brings about happiness, peace, joy, and contentment. And something else he wants to point out too, it fosters generosity. And of course, that always raises an interesting question. It's one of self-examination too, you might say. Are you a generous person? Do you see yourself as a generous person? Do others, and maybe that's even more important, do others see you in that way too? And by generosity, Paul means in the first place with your money, with your goods, with your assets, with your means. And of course, he's talking about generosity in other respects as well with regard to hospitality and compliments. But here in our text, it's especially generosity in connection with money. That is in view. After all, the context is all about that collection for Jerusalem. And also look back at chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In that connection, I may remind you that there was no one who was more generous than God our Father No one else who has given us so much. No one else who has given us more. He gave us something that even transcends money. He gave us His Son as as Paul suddenly and, and almost unexpectedly exclaims at the end of this chapter, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Our God is generous. And you can see that again as you look over the year gone by almost. Not quite, but pretty far gone. 
There's food aplenty, there's work in abundance, there's the health and the strength to work. There's everything that sustains our material life. Yes, and there's all that sustains our spiritual life too. God gives and gives and gives. Look at Christ and see as well the climax of His giving. But yet all of that divine generosity leads us together with the apostle back to human generosity. And how is that? How generous are you? How sensitive are you to the needs of those around you? Or maybe even on the other side of the world. Paul wants the Corinthians to step up to the plate and show their generosity. And surely he would want that for all of the people of God. What about us? In terms of our daily lives and how we live them. And for example, what about our young people? There used to be a time when young people were poor. I'm not so sure they're all that poor anymore. Not with their part-time jobs and their cars and their cell phones and their sports. What about you? What's the level of your generosity, young people? What's the level of your generosity, older people? Winston Churchill, I know he's not in the Bible, Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And so Paul, looking at the spiritual health and well-being of God's people, talks about generosity. And he wants Titus to receive something and he wants Jerusalem to receive something. But in the end, he says, what he really wants is for God to receive something. That there be thanksgiving to God. That's what he wants to see. He says, when God's people are responsible stewards, then something happens in their lives. There is this harvest. But he says something else happens, and that's even more wonderful, and that is that praise and honor and tribute go up to God. That's what he talks about too in the last part of our, our chapter. That thanksgiving to God about not just confessing, we can talk a storm, but talking a storm doesn't always materialize or transform itself into things of substance and meaning. But that's what Paul wants. That's what the Spirit wants. To ultimately bring all the thanks and the credit and the due to God for all of His gifts, and all of his blessings. Well, beloved, may that be for you an incentive and a reminder this Thanksgiving year and time. Today, tomorrow, take a good hard look at the material side of your life and ask yourself, 
Do I recognize God as the real source of all my blessings, both material and spiritual? And do I work with His gifts as a faithful steward? And is generosity one of the defining characteristics of my life? And am I bringing praise and thanks to God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit? If you and I can say yes to those questions, then it will be thanksgiving not just tomorrow, but every day. And not just on earth, but also in heaven. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.